reading from the English Standard Version. And this is where Paul is under house arrest awaiting a meeting with Caesar. And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the, the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner to, from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though, no, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers have coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everyone, everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expanded in, to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but you will never understand. You will indeed see, but you will never perceive. For this people's heart had grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they are closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their, what is heard and turn, I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcoming all that came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, who with, the, uh, with all the boldness and without hindrance. So there you have it. We're at the end of Acts. Let's pray before we kick into this. Father, we want to thank you for your word. And this part of your word uh, that we've been journeying through for some time, the wonderful story of your mission uh, going out through your people, those early believers, obediently trusting you in these ways. And we pray for today 
as we reflect on this part of uh, the story, the, la- the, the last two chapters, we pray that we would have clear minds, that you would give us open hearts, that we would allow your spirit to speak to us and change us today, we pray. Amen. Okay, so some of you won't be surprised to hear that um, I grew up dreaming about living on the north coast. And so, uh, uncle and aunt, they still live, and back then lived at Emerald Beach near Coffs Harbour. And I used to go up there on holidays uh, as a young person. And my uncle, you won't believe this, he had an old burnt orange combi. (laughs) What's going on? Uh, in case you don't know, I've got a bright orange combi sitting out there. It's not burnt orange. Uh, but anyway, he had, like, he had a, a bed seat and uh, an old deck chair where he could travel in the back of his old combi with his surfboards and his beautiful German shepherd, you know. And I'd, I'd stay with him. He'd, he'd take me surfing early in the morning till we were completely exhausted. And my dream was born. And uh, so, as the end of high school approaches, I'm in Sydney, I grew up in Sydney, as the end of high school approaches, I I, I write letters to caravan parks all up and down the coast asking for work. Uh, I got quite a few nice replies, but no luck, no work. Um... It was seven years later after, you know, part-time work and study and by this time Erica and I were married. Um, I applied for teaching jobs all over the place. But when I landed one at Coffs Harbour, I remember literally, literally jumping for joy in our little, the little flat where we were living in, uh, in Epping at the time. And I failed to mention that during that time I did buy myself an old combi. It was an ex-ambulance and I bolted a bed seat in the back and it became, just drilled holes in the floor like you did it back then um, and that became my ticket to freedom whenever I managed a couple of days off or whatever. Um, anyway, there we are. Now, excited about finally being able to you know, pursue this dream but I hadn't counted, of course, on, on the sadness as I drove away with Erica from our family and friends, and of course, one, you, you would all know, as you settle into the normal things of life, even the north coast of New South Wales loses some of its magic after a while. But look, the, the reality is uh, we, we enjoyed a fantastic seven years in Coffs Harbour and uh, Emerald Beach there um, before God brought us back to Sydney. Now, look, I want you to think about a dream that you might have had, maybe you still have. Uh, the hurdles that you might have faced or might still face in terms of, you know, seeing this dream realised. And, uh, you know, was it eventually achieved, your dream? Will it be? Uh, Once it was or once it will be, what was it like? What do you think it's going to be like if it ever is achieved? Our dreams... I wonder what's in your mind right now. Why am I talking about dreams? I'm talking about dreams because Paul had a dream, didn't he? Paul's dream 
the Apostle Paul, he dreamed for a long, long time to get to Rome. He was going to get to Rome. Now, unlike my dream that I've just described, Paul was motivated by his love for God and his desire to share the gospel. He wanted to get to Rome. He'd been to all these amazing cities, and we've been reading about this in Acts, haven't we? He'd been to Thessalonica. He'd been to cities like Corinth and Ephesus, where he spent that time. He'd been to Antioch, of course, and Jerusalem. All these really important, special, amazing cities. But Rome, Rome was the centre of pretty much everything. That was, that was the largest of all. That's where the Caesars could be found, the palaces, the temples, the baths. Uh, the, the famous aqueducts, the busy forum. It's all there in Rome. It was the center of political power. The emperor was there. All roads literally led to Rome. Whatever corner of the, the empire you came from, if you appealed to Caesar, this is where you ended up, Rome. Now, you might remember we've already noticed earlier Paul's mission strategy. Do you remember? He would go into the big cities to share the gospel because then as people would pass through, they would take that message out to the provinces. So he focused on the cities. We've already noticed that. Of course he's going to want to get to Rome. Now, the thing is, he's been going for a while, but up to now, it hasn't happened, has it? Why hasn't it happened? Well, if we want some insight into that, we can check out just a couple of um, short notes that we find in his letter to the Roman believers. And we, we think he wrote this letter from Corinth during his third missionary journey when he was heading back from Ephesus to Jerusalem. And so he wrote this, look, in Romans chapter 1, verse 10, in the second half of it, that's Paul having his dream. We got a photo of him. Uh, so Romans chapter 1 verse 10 he, he writes to them this he says I pray now at last by God's will the way may be opened for me to come to you so we get some insight into his hope and his heart in verse 13 there in chapter 1 of Romans he says I don't want you to be unaware brothers and sisters that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now did I put these verses up on slides Okay, you just have to listen to me. Um, the reason he hasn't got to them. So why hasn't he got to them? Why has, why has he been prevented? Well, we get some insight in, in Romans 15. So in verses 20 to 22, he explains how the reason is he's been committed to sharing the, the gospel where Christ wasn't known. So somehow, the gospel has already made it to Rome, presumably. But he says here in Romans 15, 23, he says, there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And so he's planning to make his way to Spain and on his way he wants to visit them in Rome. And he's letting them know, I'm going to get there. I, I reckon, I hope, I plan, God willing, I'm going to get there. I'm going to come and visit. But first, of course, you remember as he wrote this letter, he was on his way, he was taking the offering to Jerusalem and uh, we know what happened there, don't we? He kind of got delayed a bit and that was last week, do you remember? He, he was arrested in Jerusalem and there were those five trials and all of that happened. 
But then he appeals to Caesar and now he's on his way. And that's where we pick up the story in chapters 27 and 28. And we're going to follow this map through a little bit. Um, if, if, if you know how this story goes, if you've read these last two chapters of Acts, you know it was kind of not, a, not smooth sailing, you could say. Um, I'm going to... One of the great things about Acts is the stories, isn't it? So we, I'm, I'm actually going to review this trip. Let's do this now. Let's go on this journey with Paul. And we've got our little map here over there where the arrow is. That's where he starts. And so you've got this centurion named Julius who takes Paul, some other prisoners, and they go on a ship, it says, from Andromitium. So that's up there. So that's where the ship came from. And it's going to travel up the coast of Asia. And the first stop is Sidon. And that's where the centurion lets Paul go and spend some time with some friends who get to look after him. And then it goes around Cyprus and it passes uh, Cilicia and Pamphylia to arrive at a place called Myra. There it is. That's where they get to. Now, when they get to Myra, they get on board a ship, a different ship from Alexandria, which is down there. Presumably, this is a bigger ship able to make the big trip. So they hop on there, but the winds are against them, we read. And so they, they force down around Crete and they end up um, at a place called Fair Havens. There it is. So they end up there. And the problem with Fair Havens, and they're worried about this, is the harbour isn't good to winter in and they're getting close to the time when it's dangerous to keep sailing. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, he warns them. He says, we shouldn't keep going, right? Tells the centurion. But the centurion takes the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship and the majority they want to get on because this, this, uh, this port isn't a really good place for wintering in. They want to go to this better harbour just a bit further along the coast. Now, it's true that by this time Paul has made maybe 11 different voyages uh, on different parts of the Mediterranean. But he's not a sailor and so it's hard to blame the centurion for listening to, to, to others. So there they are, and it tells us a gentle south wind came up, and so they see their opportunity, so they make a go for it, this next port. They're going to head for it. But of course, as, as soon as they kind of get going, we, we learn these hurricane winds come down, and they can't fight them, and so they give in to them. Uh, they're worried about it. They, 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 try to, they secure the lifeboat. They're putting ropes under the ship, so it doesn't. they're worried about running into the sandbars of Sirtis. And there's some one indication of where that might be. Um, they're throwing cargo overboard. They don't see sun or stars for many days. They go without food. Things aren't looking good. Now at this point, our friend Paul, he tells them that they should have taken his advice and stayed at Fair Havens. You got I always love this bit. Thanks, Paul. You know, told you so, that kind of... Anyway, probably not the most sensitive thing he could say. But, but, but after saying that, he encourages them. Do you remember? I'm just going to read chapter 27, verses 22 to 26. He says, But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. 
you must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So there it is. Well, on the 14th night of all this, the sailors sense that they're approaching land. So, you know, they're scared of running aground, so they drop anchors uh, and pray for daylight. Uh, you've got the sailors, they try, this is when the sailors try to escape in the lifeboat, but Paul tells the centurion, so the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it loose. Now it's just before dawn, and Paul urges all those present to eat something. He says, you're going to need it to survive. And he reassures them, all 276 of them on board, he says, not one of you will lose a single hair from his head, verse 34b. I don't know. Okay. When daylight comes, right, they look out, what do they see? They see a sandy beach. Now, they don't recognize it, but they, this is their chance. So they cut the anchors loose and they make for shore. Right? Now, the problem is they get stuck on a sandbar before they get there. The bow's stuck. The ship's breaking up. The soldiers plan to kill the prisoners so that they don't escape. The centurion wants to protect Paul. So he stops them from doing that. He orders everyone who can swim to, to jump out, make for sure. If you can't swim, grab something, a plank or something that floats from the ship. And, it, and, and we're told that in this way, every single one of them reached land safely. So there they are. This takes us to the end of chapter 27, right? Now, beginning of chapter 28, once they're ashore, they work out that they're at Malta, have we got that one? Malta, there it is, where the arrow is. The island of Malta, all the way across there. And it says, the islanders show them unusual kindness. So that's nice, but it's cold and it's raining, so they build a fire. And Paul, you know this bit, he gets a, a handful of brushwood to chuck on the fire. But a snake is driven out by the heat and bites him. They all expect he's going to die, but he doesn't. He goes on to heal a lot of them. And uh, it turned, and then when when they get when they when they get to this time to leave, the islanders kind of honouring them, give them everything they need. Now their ship's all smashed up, so they hop on another ship from Alexandria, which had been wintering there. And after a couple of stops, they arrive at a place called Puteoli, up there, getting pretty close to Rome. They stay a week there before they decide before they're going to just head overland to Rome. Now, some brothers and sisters from Rome hear that Paul's on the way, so they head out. And it's something like 80 to 90 kilometres they travel to meet up with him and travel that last leg of the journey with him. And yet we can only imagine, can't we, the emotions that Paul might have experienced as he finally met these first residents, brothers and sisters, from the city of his dreams. And uh, in verse 15b, it says, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And uh, finally then, they arrive in Rome, and Paul is allowed to live by himself with just a soldier to guard him. We read about that in verse 16. We come then to the final chapter, of the, the final half of the final chapter, 
in Acts, and that's where we picked up our reading just a bit earlier. And there we see Paul following his usual pattern of first taking his message to the Jews. He tells the Jew- Jewish people about Jesus, tries to persuade them. We're told some of them are convinced, but others aren't. Others aren't. Paul quotes from Isaiah there to say that their hardness of heart had been foretold. God knew this was going to happen. And that's why God's salvation has been sent to everyone else. And they will listen, says verse 28. And then Luke closes Acts. This is the end of this Acts story with these words in chapter 28, verses 30 to 31. If we just read them again, it says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Okay. Pretty good story, hey? Yeah. Um, All I've got for you now, a little bit like last week, I've got five reflections. So we are on a journey. We are the people of God amongst other people of God that are part of this community up here in Lismore, right? We are seeking, and we've made a real point of this this year, haven't we? We are seeking to grow into being and making disciples. We want to grow more and more into that, being people who love and follow Jesus and who lead others and help others to to discover and grow in faith in Christ. That's our heart. As we're on this journey, here are five reflections that have, I think, implications for us. You, you probably have your own reflections, but I get to preach, so you get to hear mine. <laughs> okay, the first one is this. Um, obedience sometimes brings troubles. That's pretty obvious from this story, isn't it? But I point it out because I reckon sometimes, sometimes I think we assume that if, if we're kind of super obedient or do our best to, 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 to do what God wants us to do, then, then He's going to make sure everything works out nicely for us. I think sometimes we kind of fall for that one. And, uh, you know, the flip side of that, of course, is that then if life is a struggle, we're left wondering, what have I done wrong? Or where's God gone? You know, this kind of deal. Now, other parts of Scripture address this question probably more directly, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it now, except to say, you know, let's notice that Paul here experiences all kinds of troubles precisely because of his desire to be obedient. The opposition from people, uh, even the forces of nature kind of seems like they come against him at times as he's seeking to be obedient to God, and it's all completely out of his control. Now, reflection for us, even as we really do seek in our heart of hearts to grow into trusting God more, wanting to be his people, wanting to join him in seeing people come to faith, guess what? We can expect troubles, but not always. And God is a God of blessing. But troubles are going to come as we follow in the way of the suffering servant, right? Who went to the cross. You know, and sometimes, just like with Jesus, I guess, certainly like Paul here too, we will face troubles because of our desire 
to be obedient. It's going to happen. And if we, we kind of, if, we, if we don't expect it, our faith is going to be on shaky ground, isn't it, when the troubles do come along. We're going to be wondering where God's gone. We're going to be wondering what, we, you know, what have I done wrong. Right? Obedience sometimes brings troubles. Okay, that's one reflection. Second one is this. Okay. God's sovereignty doesn't remove human responsibility. You got that? It's one of those things that comes up a lot, doesn't it? And it can kind of mix us up a bit. We can find it difficult working this one out at times. But I think I've got a really good example here in Paul's life to remind us that God's sovereignty, and he is sovereign, it doesn't remove our responsibility. So, you know, think about Paul's situation here. God had promised Paul that he would testify to him in Rome, hadn't he? He promised that to Paul. At least twice we see that. Once when he was in prison in Jerusalem. Go back to chapter 23, verse 11. Have a look. Again, when the angel appeared to him during the storm at sea, in chapter 27, verses 23, 24 there, God had promised Paul. But Paul didn't just then sit back and passively wait, did he, for God to fulfill what he promised would happen. Paul did things in the midst of it all. So examples would be, that he warned against the risk of continuing to sail during the winter weather. Right? If he just thought, oh, God's going to get me there, why would he have bothered warning them? Um, when, the, um, when the soldiers were going to escape, he took action. Sorry, when the sailors were going to take off, he took action so that they'd be stopped. Uh, he did things like encourage everyone to eat, to be ready for... Kind of, he, he even said things like, Unless the soldiers stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. And this was, this is intriguing, isn't it? Because this was, he said this given that God had already told him everyone would be saved. How's that work? I don't know. It's kind of difficult to explain, isn't it? But what we get here is a really clear picture of what it looks like in terms of how this stuff works itself out. You know, somehow, somehow God's sovereignty and human responsibility are not mutually exclusive. Such is the wonder of God and the sovereign way that he works in and through his people and his world. And you know, when we look at Paul in all of this, can we not help but be impressed by his depth of faith, his trust in the promises of God, hand in hand with his willingness to act? Do you see? It's not all explained for us here, but we can see it. We can see it. Paul was a man of faith, but with his feet on the ground. We should be like that. We should be like that. You all know that story, don't you? I'm pretty bad at telling stories like this, but I'm going to have a crack because it's an obvious one to tell at a time like this. And you can tell it different ways, of course, but because of our context here um, you've got a man in a flood you know the story you know where I'm going um, so the flood comes where, what's he do hops up on the roof yeah and then guy comes along in a rowboat says hop in I'll save you I'll take you to safety what's the guy say <laughs> yeah all right 
God promises in his word, doesn't he? That he'll save those who trust in his word. Don't worry, I'll wait for God to save me. And so the guy in the rowboat, off he goes. I hardly need to finish the story, do I? I'm going to, though. Uh, so the, the waters rise, it's halfway up the house, and then someone, a guy in a motorboat comes along and says, come on, hop in, I'll take you to safety. And the man on the roof cries out and says, hey, I'm a man of faith. God says in his word that those who trust in his word, he'll save them. I'm going to wait for God to save me. And so the guy in the motorboat, motorboat off he goes. The, the, the water rises to the top of the house, he's there on the roof. I'm sorry if this is a bit traumatic for some of you. Mm. Uh, but anyway, helicopter comes along this, this time, letting the rope down. Come on. Grab it. I'm going to take you to safety. And the man, you know, I'm a, I'm a man of faith. God says in his word that he'll save those that trust in his word. I'm going to wait for God to save me. And so the helicopter, off it goes. The flood rises. The, the man drowns. He gets to heaven. He, he asks God in heaven, what happened? God says, I don't, know. I don't know. I sent two boats and a helicopter. You know the story, right? It's, it's a bit silly, but it makes the point, doesn't it? Paul wouldn't make that mistake, would he? Neither should we. Neither should we. You know, and, and probably a key example would be, that comes to my mind, is when we think about sharing faith with people, our desire to see people come to faith. We, we know that people will only come to faith if God gets involved, if he touches their hearts and transforms them. We know that. But does that mean we're not going to want to partner with God in that? that we're not going to seek to have our eyes open to what God is doing around us and to open our mouths to share the message and to live our lives and act in ways that are going to witness to, to Jesus to others? Of course we're going to want to do that. Okay, God's sovereignty, it doesn't remove human responsibility. Okay, so that's the second reflection. The third reflection got out of this um, is the encouragement one and I want to thank Jill for really talking about the importance of encouragement when she was sharing earlier because we really see that here we noted didn't we what it was like for Paul as he approaches the end of this journey he's still got this 80 or 90 kilometers to go and those brothers and sisters for no practical reason bother I mean 80 to 90 kilometers it's a bit of a journey right on foot and so they come out to meet him right no practical reason, but it made all the difference to Paul, didn't it? It says, he thanked God and he took courage. He thanked God and he took courage, just because they bothered to come and meet him. And look, I just want to remind us all, I think this should remind us all of the importance of being encouragers, as we've already heard this morning. And, you know, what's one of the... What's, I think this speaks, for example, here's just an example to why we gather at a time like this on a Sunday morning or in our growth groups or whatever it is. You know, they say, people today, you would have heard this one, haven't you, that if someone comes to church at least once a month, they think they're like a regular attender, that kind of deal, you know. It's so easy, isn't it, for these, these times together to fall down our list of priorities in life, you know, because we're busy. And, and so often it seems pointless just to kind of add to that busyness and get even tighter, you know. And all of that's true. Um, but I think what we're forgetting, sometimes at least, is the effect on others. 
the effect on others. You know, as we seek to grow, as we seek to go on this journey together, as we seek to be people who are growing as disciples and seeking to see others come to faith, all of this, we need each other. We need each other. And, and, and you know, never underestimate the power and the value of just turning up. Of just turning up. Of being there for each other. Encouraging each other. And the discouragement when we don't. Right? Now, that's not to say we should be legalistic about this. No way. I mean, life does happen, right? It does happen. We're not going to be legalistic about this. But let's not forget the importance of this kind of encouragement. Right? Encouragement. Okay. Encouragement matters. The fourth reflection here... um, it was around the different responses to the gospel. We have seen this all through Acts, haven't we? The different responses to the gospel as Paul goes about his mission. You know, there is a sadness, isn't there, at the Jewish failure to respond. And it's really easy to see that in Paul's ministry. All through Acts, his people, his own people, and, and here again in Rome, it isn't hard to imagine Paul's disappointment. It's almost like... You know, he's hoping that this time, you know, he'll get this response. But then there's that quote from Isaiah 6, which says, you know, it was foretold this was going to happen. It's all in God's hands. Right now, and in fact, did you, uh, did you realize Jesus quoted that same passage from Isaiah chapter 6 after telling uh, the, the parable of, uh, you know, the sower, the soils in Luke 8, which is all about how not everyone will really respond to the gospel. Um, anyway, at the same time though, what else does that parable, for example, tell us? It tells us some will respond. Some will. And even in the case of the Jews, remember um, when Paul went to Jerusalem and James was saying how thousands of Jews have come to faith. So, so some did. But then, and, and of course, part of what we need to learn from all this is the importance of persevering, even where there does seem to be that hardness of heart and it's difficult. Um, but, but at the same time, you know, it's about having our eyes open like Paul did to where God is at work and getting involved in that. And sometimes it's the unexpected ones that respond, isn't it? Like at what, you know, the Gentiles in this case... Who are the unexpected ones around us? Are we seeing them? Are we going to partner with God for that purpose of sharing the gospel? Okay, the ones we mightn't expect, knowing that God welcomes all who will come to him. Okay, different responses. Persevere in the face of that, hey? And then the final, final reflection. Um, and this is probably the main kind of theme of these last couple of chapters and it's fulfillment fulfillment it's probably the big theme here in chapter 1 verse 8 right way back at the beginning of acts the mission was what it was ultimately to take the gospel to the ends of the earth ultimately and if that was going to happen guess what it had to get to rome for that to happen and god promised paul that he'd make it to rome He said, you're going to get there. But then there's all these hurdles. Yes, in this final journey to Rome, but all through Acts, all these difficulties. But now he has made it. He's there. And we see as we reflect back, 
God was at work, wasn't he? All along, God was at work. Right, way back in chapter 2, this timid group of believers hiding away in a locked room are transformed by, by the Spirit of God into courageous preachers of the gospel. God does that. Once we get to chapter 8 and that terrible persecution breaks out against the early believers, that just serves to, to, to kind of spread the gospel, doesn't it? And then we get to chapter, chapter 10. Uh, chapter 9, and we, we see the greatest persecutor of the, uh, of the early believers of all turned into the greatest missionary, right? Saul. That's chapter 9. God does all, this, all of this. Um, God transformed their understanding of the kingdom of God, right? It's not just for Jews. It's for all people. We see that, chapter 10, chapter 15. Hostile kings are brought low. Jails couldn't contain those that are going out with God's word, the message of the gospel. Right? Accusers have been silenced. Angry mobs have been quieted. Accusations, trials, plans to kill Paul. They've all failed. Right? And then we've got this journey to Rome. We've got the storms. We've got the shipwreck. We've got the snake bite. Right? Why does Paul provide all this detail? Well, I'd say one reason. It's just to really highlight, right? Nothing can stop God getting Paul to Rome. Can't be stopped if it's God's purpose. And uh, we have that beautiful finish to this book with Paul welcoming all who come, right? Jews, Gentiles. He's telling them all about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. It says, boldly and unhindered. What a beautiful way to see this this part of the story finish. This is, in, in this sense, this picture of Jesus' mission fulfilled. Fulfilled. You know, nothing can stop. This is the big thing. This is the takeaway, right? Nothing can stop Jesus' mission of love to the world. Nothing can stop it. Uh, by his spirit. We've got his spirit, just like they did. Through his people. That's us. And others like us. Right? Oppose the, the purpose, the mission of God, and you'll find that you're fighting against God Himself. Nothing can stop God's loving purposes. Be encouraged to persevere. Stick with it. Hang in there. Persevere. Being and making disciples. We talk about it a lot at the moment, but we always do. Persevere. God's purposes. So, let's go back to this idea of dreams. What's your dream? What's your dream? I reckon we can dream of things far better than even life on the North Coast. Think of those people that Jesus used to bring you to faith over the years. Who did he use? How did it happen for you? Now dream of being used by God to take his message of life and love to others. Dream of that. Dream of that. Jesus' mission hasn't finished yet. And we are called to to get on board, aren't we? Uh, As we close this series on Acts, and what a journey it's been, shall we pray that God will give us that same passion, that same commitment that gave Paul his dream and that drove him across the known world, uh, ultimately here to Rome. Shall we pray?
Let's ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful uh, for your word to us and the example of Paul and the power of your spirit and uh, just the amazing way you work. We want to just know through your spirit that confidence, that courage, the wisdom uh, to know how to follow you, to keep trusting you, to speak boldly and unhindered. And we thank you that in many ways that's exactly what we can do today here in Australia. Give us eyes to see where you're at work and the passion. To